I was born and raised in the Holy Land. To you, it's Canada's 10th province. We called it God's country. Nowadays, being exiled here in Upper Canada, I refer to it as the Holy Land. A wonderful place to grow up, close to the ocean, filled with a rugged beauty. When I was in grade seven, 1972, our French class decided to take a weekend trip to France. More precisely, the island of Saint-Pierre, just a few miles off the south coast of Newfoundland. However, the cost was ridiculously high, $50. I wanted to go, I wanted to ask my parents for the $50, but I didn't think my parents had the money to afford such an extravagant adventure. I was certain they would say, no, we can't afford it. And so, after some consideration, I decided the proper thing to do was to not ask. It would place them in an awkward position to have to say no. And besides, the money could be spent elsewhere. To this day, I have never visited St. Pierre, and my French is understandably pathetic. <laughs> In Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, Jesus tells a, a parable. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about people. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, or care what people think. Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so she won't eventually come and attack me or wear me out. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The word of the Lord. This woman is at the bottom of the social ladder. Jewish men 
often prayed a morning blessing from the Talmud that went like this. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. Not only a woman, but a widow. She has no husband. She's lacking a male advocate and likely has very little money. The option of a bribery is probably ruled out. Furthermore, there's no mention of a lawyer. If anyone is going to be ignored or treated unjustly, it is likely to be this woman. Everything is against her. Now she finds herself in court seeking justice against an adversary, someone who has tried to exploit her weakness and low social standing for personal gain. She can't afford a good lawyer, so she is hoping for a fair hearing before the judge. In Jewish society, it was even extremely unusual for a woman to appear in court. I imagine her showing up dressed in rags, looking quite out of place. Her face is gaunt from a sparse diet and the wear and tear of a difficult life. But there is a force in her eye and a determined gaze. The justice system can be an intimidating place for anyone. Fear grips us. Will there be a big fine? Will I have to serve time in jail? Will I find justice or injustice? Is my lawyer any good? Is my lawyer better than the other lawyer? Have you ever experienced injustice? Have you ever been the victim of discrimination? Ever been passed over for a job because you didn't have the right connections? You're probably thinking the same thing the 12 disciples are thinking. This poor widow doesn't have a prayer. If you thought things couldn't get worse, think again. Not only does the poor widow have little means to find justice against her adversary, it turns out she has another adversary, the judge himself. The judge is corrupt, calloused, cruel, and apathetic. He has no regard for justice, no regard even for God. He cares only for himself. What chance does a poor widow have? And while the Torah teaches respect and care for widows, an unjust judge who fears no one, including God, has no such compassion. By Jewish standards, this judge is very unusual. And so this widow has little hope of finding justice. She doesn't have a prayer. She has no quit in her, though. She is deliberate and stubborn. Her only power is the power of persistence. And she is not going away. Day after day, she approaches the judge. Grant me justice against my adversary. 
is her cry. At first, he simply ignores her. Then he becomes annoyed and then really bothered. And then I imagine he maybe starts losing some sleep. He's starting to feel worn down and his golf game begins to suffer. So finally, this jaundiced judge admits to himself that the only way to get rid of this woman is to actually grant her justice. He takes little pleasure in his decision. It's simply to ease his own pain. So finally, after extreme persistence, day after day, week upon week, the poor and powerless widow actually finds justice from the corrupt, cruel, and jaundiced judge. Luke's gospel is very interested in the ministry of prayer. And here we have a parable unique to Luke that encourages us to pray. It's a parable about the kingdom of God, as are all of Jesus' parables. But what is Jesus trying to say in this parable? It seems a strange way to teach us about prayer. Is he saying it will be tough to get God's attention when we pray? Do we pray as beggars before a cold-hearted God? Do our prayers bother God? The disciples of Jesus have been asking questions about prayer, and Jesus has already given them the Lord's Prayer, and they have witnessed Jesus spending early mornings in prayer and late nights in prayer and sometimes even all night in prayer. They even knew some of his favorite places to pray. But I imagine as the twelve listen to this parable, they are confused. What is Jesus saying about his father? Is God cruel? Is God corrupt? Do we sometimes think of God as an unjust judge? Is that how we approach prayer? We don't want to admit that we might think poorly of God. Is prayer an attempt to twist God's arm, hoping he will do something even if reluctantly? Is it only by sheer belligerence that we make progress in prayer? Augustine, in his letter on prayer, referenced in Tim Keller's recent book on prayer, says this, We must count ourselves desolate in this world, however great the prosperity of our lot may be. So now Jesus poses two questions. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, says Jesus, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then a third question. However, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
When it comes to prayer, Jesus tells us, you don't ever have to worry about God's character and compassion. You don't ever have to worry about a cold-hearted God. God, the ultimate judge, is the absolute opposite of the unjust judge in this parable. The question for us today is not, will God dispense justice? The question for us is, will he find his people to be people of prayer? This parable doesn't guarantee that God will answer all of our prayers as we would like them. And it doesn't guarantee a quick answer. It guarantees ultimate justice and vindication against the many injustices inflicted upon God's people, including severe persecution and even martyrdom. This month, November, is the month when the church is called to concentrated prayer for the persecuted church around the world. And so Jesus moves the focus of prayer to the kingdom of God and the consummation of the age. The recurring theme of the kingdom of God emerges from this parable. And the question is not, will God hear and will God answer? The question is, will we, the people of God, be people of prayer? As the return of Christ nears, will we, the people of God, give up on prayer or persevere in prayer? God can, be just, God can be trusted. He is more than just. He is merciful. If this widow can find justice against impossible circumstance, how much more will God's people? We have every reason to pray. We are not poor, powerless widows. We are children of God. God our Father is neither corrupt nor cruel. If this widow found justice, how much more will God grant justice to his people? The word here for justice actually suggests vindication. Vindication at the end of the age. And the word used for quickly also hints at the suddenness of the return of Christ. You might remember that line in Revelation, Behold, I come quickly. Craig Blomberg writes, This parable teaches us that, number one, God will hear and answer the cries of his people against injustice by sending the Son of Man to earth. And secondly, we must persist in faithful petition for the consummation of the kingdom of God. Sometimes, like this widow, we may not know where to turn. Praying can be difficult, clouded with confusion and even discouragement. The Apostle Paul identifies with this. He writes in Romans chapter 8, 
we often do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So when you think you don't have a prayer, pray. Augustine said, we lack the spiritual capacity to realize all that we have in Jesus Christ. He says, we are like a little boy with a broken truck who would like it to be fixed. When he is informed that he has inherited $5 million, he is unable to grasp such a large sum of money and he remains fixated on his toy truck. Jesus calls us to a life of prayer. We should always pray and never give up. The challenge of this parable isn't about getting my prayer answered my way. It's about the people of God practicing prayer and continuing to do so as his return approaches. The parable isn't, a, isn't about persistence in an individual prayer request. It's about the commitment to the ministry of prayer by the people of God. Luther counsels us when we pray to always keep a lookout for the Holy Spirit. He will preach to us, says Luther, and one word of his sermon is better than a thousand of our own. John Calvin said, our prayers have no virtue to procure us access to the Father. Christ has done that. Prayers that are in accord with a gracious God, however, can connect us to him. If we pray without humility, it cuts us off from him. But if we pray without confidence or hope of being heard, that also blocks any sense of his presence. Both of these mistakes, says Calvin, are a failure to pray in Jesus' name. Let me go back to the Holy Land as I conclude. So one day, still lamenting my missed opportunity to visit St. Pierre, my sister comes home from high school. Mom, our class is taking a school trip to Europe. It's going to cost $1,000, and I really want to go. Mom answers, okay. I'll talk it over with your father. We'll find the money somewhere. I'm in shock. Europe, St. Pierre, $1,000, $50. I think I may have underestimated my parents. I didn't think I had a prayer, and so I failed to ask. I encourage you today, 
pray. When you don't think you have a prayer, pray. Pray to your Father in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your invitation to prayer and communion. And may our prayers, O God, be about your name and your kingdom and your gospel. Teach us to pray, and as your return nears, may we pray for your kingdom to come. May we pray for your name to be exalted in all the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.